Welcome to the God is Not an Asshole podcast. If you are one of the many people done with religious dogmatism, hang on. You might sense transcendence, but your church or other faith community never seem to get off the ground. You realize that honoring your conscience means more than fitting in and keeping hard to explain rules? Hang on. You could probably think of the goodness in your tradition, and you tried your best to save that baby, but there's so much bathwater. Join your hosts, David Norman Moore Jr. in California and Carrie Connolly in New Jersey, who are collaborating to bring on guests who have found life on the other side of fundamentalism. Guests with stories of how they have liberated themselves from beliefs that divide us from each other. None of our guests' narratives are identical, but we hope you'll find something in common with each of them. We invite you to experience our common bond as we all inspire even more of us to embrace the true self. I'm really uh, delighted to do this with you. This is episode one, and uh, how did you sleep? How, how is everything? You know what? I slept really well last night, which is unusual, so I'm excited. And I had a really awesome meditation this morning, which has just like lit my day for the rest of the the rest of the day. Well, um, you know, I didn't I didn't sleep my best, which lately that that is a, an exception, um, mm. but. Uh, you know, it was about 3 a.m. and I was awake and I, I, you know, I just don't like that. I don't like wasting being in the bed, but, yeah. um, you know, I, there <laughs> I was. And I remembered a, a, a couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine said that, you know, when you, when you wake up at three in the morning, then that's when God's trying to talk to you. Indeed. So he said that after his wife and I had talked and both of us had awakened at 3 a.m., you know, and, and so she thought, man, maybe there's something to that. So I don't, I don't know. So, so you're it, saying, you're saying that there's going to be some really powerful message that you're going to bring today to this, to this episode, to our very well, first episode. You know, that's <laughs> that. Okay. So just, just how it went was I, you know, I was awake and then I started having this, like this, these dark feelings, you know, kind of cloudy and, you know, I'm in touch with, you know, my age and my mortality and problems, lots of problems, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I found myself extending my hands in the bed outward, like energy was coming into me. Oh. So then I put the, I put another pillow behind me. And I got at a 45, almost 45 degree angle and to do this because, you know, typically we don't sleep at 45. Most people, you know, mm -hmm. I sleep at 90, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and I could feel it. I could feel the energy. And it's like, it was like this newness. And that my wife was, you know, she was asleep. And, uh, and it was like, I, I loved her for the first time, you know, it was just, oh. just, you know, really something. So that was kind of a sign that even out of all of the, the, the darkness and the sadness uh, that is uh, part of, you know, the world in which we live, that something new can be, can sprout, you know, and come forth. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, as an energy worker, I, I'm an energy healer and angel Reiki practitioner and all that kind of stuff. I love that story. I love what you just talked about. And I loved, I love that whole, um, the whole idea of, of, you know, the feeling of energy flowing into you to renew you, because I, I believe in that 100%. And that was very similar to the, the meditation that I did this morning. Um, so we'll have to talk about that. But we have a lot of other things we have to talk about in this, our very, very first ever episode of this podcast. So 
Uh, where should we start? Well, maybe the name? The uh, name. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was your idea, although I do back it up and love it 100%. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where the name came from? Well, this name has uh, has recurred in my life for the past you know, five years or so. And it wasn't even on my mind when I posted on Facebook and I said, is there somebody out there who would like to, you know, co-host a, a, a program, a podcast about emerging from um, dogmatism, yeah. of connecting people who are, who, who have been liberated or are liberating or are thinking about it, how dare they, you know, and yeah. And and because of that, I I just put that up, post out there, and you replied. You're not the only one who replied, but yeah, you know, I just knew. So uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, anybody who would reply to that would be great. Right? Yes, <laughs> obviously, just... <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. That's it's um it's an interesting journey. Those of us who have gone through a deconstruction process, um, or are going through, or are thinking about embarking upon one, and the loss and the grief that's involved in that can be really scary. And, um, the, and, and when I say loss, I'm talking about re- truly true loss, losing relationships, losing faith, losing all sorts of things, you know? Yeah. And I think, but I think one of the, the best things that you lose is the asshole God. <laughs> I think like that's one thing that is, is a real benefit is when you can get rid of that psychopathic, sociopathic, bloodthirsty, warmongering God that has been perpetrated by so much of, especially Western religion. Yes, uh, androcentric. White. <laughs> yes, <laughs> very, very that. white. God, yes. You yes, know, uh, I was thinking uh, as you were talking about you know how we actually know each other, uh, it begins with Doug Paget. It does. We should have him on the podcast. Oh, yeah. So That's anyway, a good idea. <laughs> I hosted um, I hosted Doug about a year ago, a year and a half ago, for our church, and someone asked because we all, it's always very interactive. So someone asked Doug, you know, as people were going through this deconstruction, some people um, they asked Doug, "Was this hard for you?" And <laughs> Doug had this answer that just really uh, stayed with me. He said, "It wasn't so hard for me because I didn't." Uh, have my come to Jesus moment until I was 17 years old and no one in my family, um, mm. you know, they, they were not Christians. And so he said, I was the first person in, in the, in a way, the first person out, you know, kind of, but <laughs> right. <laughs> he was just saying that, that he, 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 it wasn't his heart. And so that, what that caused me to see is that it's the, the social aspect of uh, people's uh, faith lives is what makes it so hard to have a change. Yeah, that's so true. You know, for somebody who was, I'm similar to Doug. I was about 21 when Jesus and I had our our first moment. And, um, but actually I lie. I had a very mystical moment with Jesus before I ever knew who Jesus was. He came and had a, had hung out with me on the side street when I was about three. And I just knew it was a, it was a beautiful moment. I, I can talk about that some other time, but it was, it was an incredible moment. And I felt so loved and just accepted for who I was. And a few years later, when my mom finally started taking me to church and I looked at the pictures of like this really sad white guy who was like, 
looked just so dejected. I was like, well, I don't know who that is, but I hope he starts feeling better soon. Cause you know, that's not the, <laughs> that is not the energy that I <laughs> experienced that beautiful, unconditional golden love that, that I just experienced him as, or experienced that energy I should say as. So, um, so yeah, so, but so I went to church as a kid, but not, not, it wasn't a very uh, deeply evangelical church and it was not a church. I, it was not deeply ingrained in my family. And so later on, when I found my way to a church, I basically followed a boy to a church, got there, and then the church kind of gathered me in. And I stayed there for off and on for a while until I found myself on, ch- on church staffs at, at big evangelical churches. But even then, I didn't have as much social pressure as some of the people who I know who grew up, grew up in deeply, deeply evangelical families that had gone back generations. And many of those people are gay who grew up in those families and are currently suffering major amounts of PTSD and trauma from from the experience of being so wholly rejected, not just by their families, but by God, allegedly, right? Allegedly rejected by God. And so there's so much healing and so much um, I think it's just, it's so, there's so much to be gained when we lose the psychopathic God. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful reason alone to start this podcast. You know, you mentioned, uh, you, you know, this person being gay. And I, I thought about how, and, and we've had this conversation uh, during the, uh, the first two years of pandemic, I became aware of uh, 11 people who came out. Uh, actually, um, mostly transgender, but also um, gay. And what that said to me is that people in their aloneness had to come to grips with what means most to them mm-hmm. in life. And so being away from the social gaze uh, was liberating for them. In the yeah. same way that the great resignation took place and people just said, I don't want this job anymore, or, or at least I don't want it in that location you know, a lot of these kinds of things, and people got divorced, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean there was a lot of this going on where people are just looking at their lives and saying, I, I, I want to be true to myself. It would, it would be you know, painful for me to come to the end of my days and never have met the real me or accommodated the real me. Yes, yes. That the, the, I think that there is, in general, a great movement toward authenticity in all of the different ways. And I think that I, I really do when I think when I watch and see what spirit is doing in the world and in people's lives, in clients that I work with and all sorts of people, I am seeing a a return to self like I've never seen before, where people are 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 saying, I'm I'm ready to strip away the social conditioning, the religious so conditioning. Let me say this, all the people who are listening right now. It's it's time to just return to self. Okay, return go ahead, to self. Yes, yes, <laughs> it's time to return to self. The person that you were created to be, that that Holy Spirit wants you to be, that the, that the following that Holy Lore that that God is offering you to yourself, right? And I just I think that it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing because sometimes our social conditioning has entrenched us in all sorts of obligations and relationships and jobs and all sorts of things that don't serve us anymore and yet are are stymieing our i think that's a word 
um, stymieing our, our most beautiful, authentic expression of who we are. And who we are is an expression of the divine, right? Who we are is an expression of the divine. So we are literally stymieing God when we are not living into our authentic, fullest selves, right? So that's what gets me really excited about about doing this doing this podcast and and talking about this fact that God is not an asshole. God is actually an amazing experience, um, a creative force, a a genesis that we can all um, commune with daily on a regular, everyday, minute by minute basis. Well, allow me to thank you for being, not you know, for mm-hmm. saying all that you just said, but also for being. You know, I mean, and you you're uh, an amazing writer, and and I'm not yeah. just talking about the uh, the literary skill. I'm talking about how penetrating you're you're taking on work that I would say as an African American, I want to see white people take on, especially <laughs> in the religious realm, um, yeah. to to push some buttons, you know, ask some questions. So yeah. I you know I appreciate that. I come from a kind of a, a bipolar background because I have very deep black church roots. My parents grew up African Methodist Episcopal, AME, but then in time as adults, they both became Pentecostal affiliated with the Church of God in Christ, mm. which by the way is how I am ordained. One of the ways I'm ordained, I'm also ordained in the International Church of the Four Square Gospel. So, I mean, there's a whole story there, but the thing is, is that when I when I said that there were people who who were coming out, what I've seen is that people don't need somebody else to what, quote unquote consult with or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But when you have a religious background, particularly in in the case of people I'm talking about, were mostly evangelical or Pentecostal. Uh, when you when you have that kind of experience or, and or background, uh, it becomes important that somebody who shares that background knows what you are dealing with without judging yeah. you know, your experience. And, you mm-hmm. know, it, it's just been an amazing few years. One, one person actually came out. I was uh, guest lecturing at, uh, at a university over zoom and in early 2021. And a person actually came out during class, uh, oh. and, you know, yes, just, mm-hmm. Just that's amazing. Different kinds of stories. Yeah. 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 That's and the class fabulous. wasn't even about so, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's amazing. That that's so great. I I love that. Okay. So I think it's probably important. We've already kind of talked a little bit about this, but I think it's probably important to answer the question. I think in this, we we said before we started, we were going to answer the questions. You know, who are we? You know, why do we get to talk about this? Or what what do we have to bring to the conversation? Why this topic, which I think we've pretty much covered, right? We've we've talked about that and how we're going to do it. So I think we need to still answer a little bit more about who we are. So do you want to talk a little bit about you? You just shared a little bit about your background, but maybe a little bit more, and we can bring in how we the the circumstances of how we actually met, which was a pivotal class for me. I have. Thank you, Doug, for pulling that off. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think you'll understand what I'm saying, but today I identify as a Christian. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> today. <laughs> and and I'll, I'll give you, you know, one of the big reasons 
is two days ago, I started reading Raphael Warnock's book, uh, The Divided Mind of the Black Church. I had no idea that Warnock is such a theologian. I mean, serious theologian. Uh, I'm I'm talking about a disciple of James Cone kind of theologian, Mm. researcher. You know, he's so knowledgeable. And um, it it, it made me, while I was reading that, really, really proud to be a Christian. (laughs) (laughs) There are days, there are times. (laughs) It happens. (laughs) Yeah, because you look at, you know, oh my goodness, Carrie. Every time I think of him, how can you not think about Herschel Walker, though? I mean, okay, that's... Uh, yeah, well, downer. <laughs> it, yes. it really is because the fact that he was a contender in mm-hmm. a, quote-unquote, sophisticated country, you know, a, a serious country, if you will, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It, you know, it's so, so saddening. But um, anyway, I'm... Yeah. My no, I think is, that we, we are both taught, we're both anxious to have a conversation about that, I think, in a future episode about the state of American politics and white Christian nationalism and the tools thereof. But yes, I think it's important. Um, Let's let's finish our what we're going to talk about here. And we've got so much to talk about. And we're so excited to do it. (laughs) Yeah, because I, you know, I'm thinking right now of uh, some of the people that we will be hosting. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I kind of feel like we're, we're, we're part of an of, of a network that already exists, mm-hmm. um, but we just need to touch each other. Yes, you know, indeed. albeit virtually, but still, you know, I, I just think we need to see each other and and uh, hear each other. And I think I think there's a movement and you know, movement afoot, and we're getting a chance to be a part of that. So I love yeah, it. I'm in Santa Barbara, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's the West Coast, and you're on the East Coast. I'm in New Jersey where it finally got really, really cold today and I'm unhappy about it, but you know, say lovey. Oh, it got really, really cold here. It was, it was like, you know, 40 degrees. Um, 40. I would, I would love 40 degrees. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think, I think they said negative 22 with the wind chill today. So it's windy, but it's, it's mm. in the twenties. So it's in the twenties. So, okay. So we are talking, so you, you have a background in the Pentecostal church and you have a background in the AME, AME, right? Yes, that? yes. Yes, okay. And then what about your personal faith journey? Where are you now? Yeah. Well, um, when, when you and I first met five years ago, I was trying, um, still kind of trying to reach out to an audience that was largely non-responsive. Mm-hmm. But trying to be present because I know I was not alone mm-hmm. um, to reach out to folks. And, and, you know, I'm not there anymore. It's not like I've shut the door on that. I'm sure you're familiar with that kind of experience where I, now I'm, I'm more concerned uh, for their victims, if you will. Mm-hmm. Who's there? Uh, Who's they? Who are you talking about when you say that? When, whenever your, your practice dominates anybody else or excludes anybody else. Um, but you keep holding out this carrot that it's going to get better for you. We have, we have a program for you to make it better for you, but it never happens. Uh, it leaves this deep disillusionment and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and cutting pain in people's lives, 
yeah. you know, probably occupies people's thoughts more than than we realize you know it's mm-hmm. just obs- people are obsessed with this and they may be functional they you know still being a parent or uh, you know a car student or whatever they're going to work every day still all this is still going on but but this is you know with them in the morning and if it's not there it'll be there by you know by noon it, you and, know it travels with them and by this you're talking about their perception of what god thinks of them right your the messaging that they are receiving from pulpits all over the country about how they should be voting who they should be including in or, or not including all in the name of love right all in the yeah. god's love means i should exclude you from the communion table because of who you like to go to sleep with at night or i should exclude you because of the gender you identify as right like all of those um all of those different things, right? And and how they might align and the messaging that that might give and the ways in which they might relate in their relationships with their children, their parents, their siblings, their friends, their coworkers. And they're in the voting booth as well, right? Is that, that's it. Am I accurately yeah. describing what you're talking about? Okay, cool. I just want to make yeah. sure that, yeah. It, so is that, a, um, it is the creation of a culture bubble that is deemed to be normal mm-hmm. and when you are a part of it it, it 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 there's something about it that feels normal uh, mm-hmm. when, when you're a part of it that you know the whole world should be like this and mm-hmm. not the way that it is but it is supreme denial because the world is not like this and it's not going to be like this ever right right <laughs> right right it's so I'm, i keep thinking about a friend of mine a dear friend of mine who i was talking to um the other day and he's like carrie can you please explain to me because uh, he had gone to church out of an obligation to somebody he cares about he went to church he didn't really want to and he was like, can you, what is this? What is it with this obey word that they always use in, like, what is this with God wants me to obey? Like, what, what, I don't understand that, you know? And it is a word that I think is so misused in, in, um, but to, to maintain power by pastors, especially, you know, um, and church leadership to, to maintain power. And it's, there's this trickle down effect where, like, like who all of the everybody is is required to quote obey somebody else and it creates this crazy hierarchy in the world of 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 faith and spirituality and um i think it can get really really dangerous i've seen those images those memes of the umbrella right uh god is over is the umbrella over man men male people and then the, those male people are the umbrella over their wives, those women people, and those are the, those women are the umbrella over the kids, right? And it's such a it's such a messed up paradigm in so many ways because it's not realistic, right? It's really not realistic. So, you know, uh, the only way that that is remotely just, you know, that you have this uh, you know hierarchy, the only way it could be remotely just is if you could trade places every now and then. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, exactly. <laughs> right. Shared leadership, the way the geese do when they were flying south. Yes. Yeah. That's well, I've always I have I, I've told <laughs> friends you know for years now that there's so much that got that got messed up or wasn't done with over a century of only men voting. And mm. I said, what if we just had like a hundred years where no men could vote? 
and right? you could, could course correct a little bit. Yeah, why not? That would be amazing. <laughs> I love that idea. So I should share a little bit about mine because, and I want to tell the story of how we met because it was such a pivotal moment in my deconstruction. So um, we met, you and I met when I was uh, part of a, of a seminary master of divinity program that, as you mentioned, Doug Paget had uh, created. It's now, it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, but it was an amazing experience. And it, it was my second semester um, that, that Doug brought us all out to LA and uh, you and I got to meet. He had you come and be a guest speaker in one of our, one of our class one day. And that moment, my second semester in seminary was a very pivotal moment um, for me in my journey, because as any good seminary will do, it basically, my seminary, seminary education essentially, you know, smashed my faith to bits. Like everything that I thought it, I believed seminary just kind of basically was like, yep, we're just going to smash that on the floor. And that was awesome because what I was able to do was look at it and go, well, there's a whole bunch of pieces of to this faith that I don't want in here, like patriarchy and legalism and, you know, all of these uh, really the, the, you know, atonement theory and the psychopathic God that requires a blood sacrifice of his own son. It just makes no sense. Right. And so all of that was, was, I was able to really look at it and say, do I really actually believe this? Or is this a kind of God that I would want to follow? I don't really like, I don't, I don't think so. And when I was able to remove all of that, I was actually able to make space for the actual experience of, of the divine that I had been having all of my life, starting from the time that I was three, when Jesus, this beautiful Christ energy came and visited me when I was a tiny little kid, you know, with messy hair on the side street next to my house, right? And all of these other moments moving forward that where I have seen things that didn't make sense and known things I shouldn't have known and had these, all of these amazing experiences. And I was sitting with, um, I think his name is Philip Clayton, who was another speaker that Doug had had us come, I had come to, to sit with us. And I told him about some of these stories. And, and I said, he said to me, I said, well, what do I do with these? And he said, well, just let them be true. And I was like, Oh, I can do that. I can just, I can just let them be true. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't know I could do that. And what was really interesting, and I hope it's okay if I take some time to tell this story because please, please. Okay. So I was, I was on staff at a large evangelical church and toward the end of my time there, there was this one night I was taking a picture of the entire staff in front of at, at our pastor's house. And while I was holding the phone up to take this picture, this huge white ball of light flew out of this door, turned and flew right in front of them. And I was like, and it wasn't, I was, I didn't capture it on my phone. I, I saw it. I was like, oh, mm. oh, like, I'm like, I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm like, mm. I'm not telling all of these people what I just saw. Right, right. <laughs> because I don't, yeah, I'm not doing that. A few days later, I was talking with my friend who is, um, She's a, a psychic medium, and I told her about it, and she said, "Well, they're saying that it was a, a jester angel." I'm like, well, I don't know what a jester angel is, and I don't even know if I believe in angels. Like, I like what, that's completely unhelpful. And she said, "Well, that's what they're saying." So that night, when I was speaking with Philip Clayton, he said to me, "Well, I told him that story," and he said, "Well, you know what? 
he, he, after he told me, you know, to just let it be true, he goes, you know what the jester's job was, right? And I was like, no. He goes, the jester was the only one who could tell the king the truth. And I was like, oh, oh, that's really interesting. And it, to this day, it made me, it still is something that, that sticks in my brain because years later, after I'd been through seminary and all my seminary teachers had come to know who I was and the fact that I like to poke push buttons and tell the truth to, to the church rather than actually go to church. I'm more like, you know, and I really, it became clear. I'm not a pastor. I would do harm as a pastor. I would, I would literally do harm as a pastor. That's Rosie in the background guys. Sorry. I don't know if we're going to be able to get rid of her, Um, but I, my one favorite, favorite teacher sat, sat down and he said to me, Carrie, you're not, you're not a pre, you're not a pastor. You're a prophet. And when he said that to me, not only did it feel so true in my body, but it made, it brought me back to that moment where I was told that a jester angel flew in front of me, in front of my evangelical pastor, because a jester is the only person who can tell the truth to the king. And I was like, oh, I think I just received some kind of message about what I'm actually supposed to be doing with my life and my purpose, right? And so spirit gives us those kinds of amazing breadcrumbs to follow sometimes. And those breadcrumbs can lead us to our our authentic selves if we're willing to listen, right? If we're willing to pay attention and willing to listen. They don't always make sense in the moment, though, which is what makes it hard. (laughs) And I think that more people are, as we were saying earlier, becoming more and more, more of us are willing to listen. Mm -hmm. You know, know, again, I think uh, being locked down for a couple of years had something to do with that. But uh, we're we're willing to listen. I, I was thinking of... That experience with uh, uh, Doug Paget and that course where we met was uh, it was special for me because I got to uh, everybody had read my book and we got to inter- yes. interact over that. Um, yes, which I feel like that book was like part of my mission, you know, to to do what I can to to uh, help people not reinvent the wheel, if you if you will. And the na- and the name of your book was. Mm. Yeah, so uh, Brian McLaren, uh, another uh, much-published author, author, uh, recommended that I use this phrase that he found in the book, Making America Great Again, followed by three questions. Mm -hmm. Horror story, dream come true, I don't even remember. Uh, Don't you hate when that that happens? (laughs) I, I do that all the time. Like, what was the tagline of my book? I don't remember. I think I have your book right over here, if I can find it. Hold on. And and while you're doing that, um, essentially, it is a, a, you know, appeal to the global community, a challenge, rather, to the global community and and an appeal to the uh, Western Christian community. Mm. Um, But the first part didn't seem to be as effective as I would like to. I'm not saying... Mm that it, it it had no effect because I, I know stories. I know that it did. But, you know, the appeal to the Christian community seemed to have, seemed, seemed to have less of, of a robust expand, uh, uh, response than the challenge to the global community 
which I'm still seeing experiencing responses to that, you know, where people are wanting to know, you know, I, I, I want to get on board with this. I, I, I just can't, I can't brook this kind of faith anymore. And I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that, you know, mine's, my experience is kind of bipolar because, you know, you think of the black church as uh, generally as a liberationist entity, mm-hmm. you know, evangelical and liberationist. But you don't tend to think of the white church as liberationist. You know, it can be evangelical without being liberationist, which... Uh, Anti-liberationist in anti- many cases. Oh, yes. <laughs> and and me inhabiting both of those worlds simultaneously, because I was, like I said, ordained in two different denominations, um, one predominantly black and the other predominantly white, there are conversations that either of them never had, mm-hmm. you know, I kept waiting for, but mm-hmm. the, at least the black church got closer to having many of the conversations around justice, especially when there were events. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, I, I happened to be visiting Ferguson uh, after Mike Brown was, was killed during the time that our church, Church of God in Christ, was having its annual convention in St. Louis. So I was there for the convention, but I was there to go to Ferguson, all right, just to mm. meet people and get yeah. the feel. For, well, while I was there, my friend Tori, uh, who, who drove me around, said there's a protest out at the University of Missouri, um, Columbia. He said, you want to go? And where we were, you know, it's about almost a two-hour drive from Ferguson. He's I said, why not? And in that moment, Black students had built a tent city in the middle of campus in November in the middle of Missouri. And they were protesting racial conditions at Mizzou. And mm-hmm. they had this long list of, uh, of demands. And uh, the number one item on the list was the resignation of the president or might have been chancellor, whatever it was, resignation because of his inaction and because of some actions. And so... Nobody really thought, I, people I encountered thought that these things were going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found out before I went to the convention the next morning that the, that the university president had resigned. Wow. And, um, you know, that was, a, that was a powerful expression of protest uh, bringing forth fruit, fruit more readily and rapidly than... Mm-hmm than people imagined, but I had so much admiration for these students. So mm-hmm. uh, anyway, the reason I bring all this up is that I'm simultaneously visiting Ferguson and a church convention, and mm. I'm trying to figure out why the church conviction convention isn't more aligned with the resistance in mm. Ferguson, you know, even though it's a black church event. Yeah. Right? And, wow. And, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. We are people who have left behind performance-based religion and the shame that comes with it. Maybe you have a personal liberation story to tell and we want to know about it. Please contact us on Twitter at GodIsNotAnAsshole or text 805-703-8393 because the world needs to know that God is not an asshole.